Before we get into today's episode, we're hoping you might give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Okay, away we go. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, will Mississauga exit Peel region? Will Mississauga join Brampton in a new super city of Peel? What about Kitchener-Waterloo? Questions, questions, and more questions about regional government in Ontario. Still controversial 50 years later. And is the Ontario Science Centre on the move? Is it moving to Ontario Place? The Premier drops a big hint that it may be. And Russian sanctions on Queen's Park? Yep. We'll tell you who's on Vladimir Putin's you-know-what list. It's Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. So let's get to it. Okay, before we talk politics, i got to ask you, the Stanley Cup playoffs start tonight. Tell me you're going to watch the Leafs against the Lightning. Uh, probably not. What? I gotta be honest. What? I mean, I was at a Jays game yesterday, so I'm not like opposed to sports. I want to make that clear for our <laughs> listeners. At least you pronounced it sports instead of sport. I know a lot yes. of people, hey, I, I follow sport. No, well done. That's good. That's good. Uh, just before we begin and get to our three items on this week's pod, we um, we should update everybody on the Ontario Liberal leadership race. Uh, the party announced this past Sunday that its new leader will be crowned on December 2nd of this year in classic liberal fashion. That is a date that will irritate Everyone that will irritate all potential candidates, but for different reasons, right? Uh, exactly right. Uh, you know, sometimes that's the mark of a good decision when everybody is somewhat angry with the results, but everybody sort of grumbles and lives with it. Those running for many months now, more or less openly, people like a federal MP uh, Nate Erskine Smith or his colleague Yasser Nakfi, who was, of course, a former MPP, uh, they will be disappointed that they have to wait a little bit for uh, the election day. They had wanted votes uh, even sooner than the December 2nd date, but they had also been concerned that the party might choose to push the uh, formal selection of a new leader even later uh, into potentially early 2024. Uh, both Erskine Smith and Nakvi were really hoping for an earlier decision. Uh, on the other hand, there are still candidates out there who have not announced yet, and they were counting on uh, that later date, something potentially like February or March of 2024, so that they would have more time to organize, more time to get their uh, their ducks in line, and they are going to be disappointed because they really don't have the time that they uh, would want to create an organization, sign up members. Uh, you know, these potential names include uh, people like uh, Bonnie Crombie. Navdeep Baines had been speculated, but I thought he had ruled himself out. Yeah, but, but he might have reconsidered. That, that, well, that doesn't mean his his friends have ruled him out, right? They right. still want him. They still want to push him in there. I guess the good news is everybody has been anxiously awaiting the date chosen by the party's executive council for a while now. So the date has now been chosen, and we're finally going to figure out who's in and who's out. Okay, on to issue one. We have 445,000. We're the fastest growing region in North America. It's not even close. That's Premier Doug Ford last Thursday in Kitchener-Waterloo asked a question about when the government intended to appoint a special advisor on the issue of regional government reform. Now, listeners, we know this potentially sounds like a snoozy issue. But that's our brand here on the On Poly podcast. Newsy, nerdy, deep in the policy weeds. Those are the kinds of issues we do. So... Okay, here we go, JMM. 
So maybe before we figure out what the premier has up his sleeve for reforming regional government today, uh, we could take a walk down memory lane and figure out how we got to regional governments in the first place. I would be delighted to do that because uh, you got to go back 50 years to get to the beginning of this story. So let's set the scene here. Half a century ago, there were a lot of little towns dotting southern Ontario, and they each had their own police departments and their own fire departments and their own town councils and their own town administrators and on and on and on, which was fine, but it didn't really allow for the kind of regional planning that was becoming increasingly necessary as these areas of the province became increasingly urbanized. So here it comes. Premier Bill Davis's government decided there needed to be some regional consolidation so planning could be improved. And uh, pray tell, how did that go over? <laughs> well, horribly, actually. <laughs> change is always difficult and usually unwelcomed. And the best example of unwelcome change happened just west of Toronto. Mississauga wasn't always Mississauga. Once upon a time, there were a bunch of smaller towns like Port Credit and Streetsville and Aaron Mills and Moulton and Cooksville and Clarkson. They all had their own little town councils. But the Davis government decided to put them all together almost 50 years ago into the super city of Mississauga. And you know who was the most bitterly opposed to the move? I, I do, but I don't want to spoil the punchline. <laughs> Go for it. Well, people can probably guess anyway. A little minor political figure of the day named Hazel McCallion. She was the mayor of Streetsville, one of the towns in the area, and she was furious with Premier Davis because... Streetsville, along with all the other little towns and villages, was about to be absorbed into this new city of Mississauga. Of course, Hazel McCallion would go on to run for mayor of the new city and spend the next 36 years as one of the longest-serving mayors in the Commonwealth, something Mr. Davis never let her forget. He used to tease her, saying, Hazel, you were deathly opposed to this, but thanks to me, you've had the best job security of any politician in Canada. There you go. So that's Mississauga, which is one part of uh, the regional municipality we're talking about. What about Peel Region? Okay, that's the other part of the story. As Mississauga was incorporated into a new super city, the new upper tier of regional government was also created, and that was comprised of Mississauga and the city of Brampton and Caledon, and all of that became Peel Region. And those upper-tier governments were created to offer region-wide services, such as police and fire and water and so on. And it wasn't just Peel. The Davis government also created Halton Region and Durham Region and York Region and Hamilton-Wentworth Region and Niagara Region, Waterloo Region. Okay, I think I've got them all. Anyway, that was to offer a region-wide perspective. So... With all of that background in place, that brings us to today and the current Premier's promise to appoint a special advisor to review regional governments to see whether they make as much sense today as they did half a century ago. And that is where the estimable Mr. McGrath will pick up the story. Can I, can I say one thing before I jump back Please. into this? One of the things that I like to sort of tell people about here, the, the regions were largely created on the lines of the counties that preexisted them, right? Before it was Peel Region, it was Peel County. And the counties are actually something you only see in southern Ontario. Northern Ontario never got laid out as counties. Instead, they have districts. And so a lot of the uh, regional coordination problems problems that the regions solve uh, in southern Ontario, we actually still have a lot of those problems in the north of coordinating lots of small uh, municipalities that share lots of services. And it's it's a totally different um, institutional setup. Maybe we will find an excuse to talk about that at some future date. Do you know what? I thought when I went down the history of regional government road, I hit a 9 out of 10 on the nerd scale, but I think you may have surpassed me. That was at least a 9.5. 
Anyway, all right. Over to you, my friend. Back to the story we are, in fact, talking about today. Uh, the premier was asked about when he would appoint a special advisor on the issue of regional government coordination. This was part of the government's plan that was announced, I believe, last year. They still have not done so. Uh, he mentioned in this announcement in uh, Waterloo Region last week that he wanted to consult all of the local mayors before doing that, uh, and promised that we'd ha- he would have an announcement shortly. Which is, of course, government speak for. We still haven't figured this entirely out. <laughs> well, this is a really important appointment because the premier needs to pick someone that is seen as a genuinely honest broker who will listen to all sides and who hasn't already made up his or her mind about all this. And go ahead, tell the people why. Well, you know, there are so many people with competing interests, so many municipalities, so many mayors and councils with competing interests. Again, we're going to look at Mississauga, right? Uh, Mayor Bonnie Crombie, uh, also potentially a liberal leadership aspirant, uh, she uh, wants to mexit, as they are calling it, uh, to break up Peel region, and Mississauga would become uh, what is known in uh, policymaking as a single-tier municipality in Ontario, uh, like the city of Toronto or the city of Ottawa. There's no uh, regional government above it, just one city that handles all of uh, its policies. Don't forget Hamilton. Hamilton is too. Uh, Hamilton is also, as so is Sudbury. We can never forget Hamilton or Sudbury. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, others uh, would uh, like to create a new uh, super city of Peel that would combine Mississauga and Brampton together. Mm. Uh, the the third municipality in Peel that we haven't talked about much, Caledon, still a, a much more rural municipality. A big question would be what would happen to Caledon in that future? Would it remain uh, a more rural place, dominated by, you know, farms and and apple orchards, or would it become a new growth frontier? Lots and lots of questions. And no obviously right answer in the sense of, like, the advisor is going to have to make a decision, and much like the Liberal Party, actually, uh, it's bound to uh, annoy somebody and possibly annoy everybody. (laughs) Um, And so the the government, you go and you ask for these special advisors specifically because the government wants to sort of put somebody else's stamp on the the idea, whatever comes out. Premier Ford's uh, government uh, has all of the seats in Mississauga and Brampton, a really important base of the party support there. So, you know, if he doesn't get this question right, there could be a huge political price to pay in the next election. Exactly. Bottom line, we are waiting for a special advisor to be appointed. That advisor will no doubt spend months, if not a year or more, doing his or her investigation, and then the government has to consider the recommendations because at the end of the day, this is a very political decision, and you can just imagine the chronology here. Special advisor's recommendation could come out just before the 2026 election, so this could be a really fascinating point for debate during that campaign. And on to issue two. And I I personally think it's a great idea, but if I told you now... My Minister of Infrastructure would shoot me on the spot. So can you stay tuned till next week? But I think it's a fabulous idea and there's a tremendous opportunity. So I, I just, yeah, I think you know where we're going on that. There's Premier Ford again last week at the same announcement in Kitchener-Waterloo on the issue of what changes Ontario's capital city could see related to Ontario Place and the Ontario Science Centre. JMM, tee this up for us. What is the most likely option the Premier was hinting at there? Yeah, we expect an announcement uh, sometime later this week from the Infrastructure Minister, but uh, it seems likely that what the Premier is hinting at is moving the Ontario Science Centre to the current site of Ontario Place. There's been some hints dropped about this previously. Uh, One of the maps that the government has had to produce as part of its uh, planning application 
application to the city of Toronto has uh, indicated uh, what do they call it science programming or potential future science <laughs> programming being added to Ontario Place. So that's the kind of hint that we are looking at. Uh, what would happen to the current location of the science center? The proposal made, uh, among others, by uh, mayoral candidate and former councillor Anna Bailao is that you would add many thousands more units of affordable housing to the location. This is complicated. There is already a uh, housing proposal for that location. Bailao is proposing to add more. It's also, of course, extremely contentious. It's hard to come out and say, no, don't build more housing in Toronto, which is in desperate need of more housing. However, there is a great debate about whether or not the Science Centre should move to the waterfront or whether to get rid of the very famous design uh, where it is right now. Uh, The Science Centre has been at the corner of Don Mills and Eglinton in Toronto since 1969. It was a centennial year project of the John Robarts government designed by Raymond Moriyama, one of the most famous architects in the country, created many iconic structures in Canada and beyond. In its day, the Science Centre was a major tourist attraction. I don't know about you. I assume you, like me, like millions of other kids, took field trips to the Science Centre when we were in school. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just part of the deal. But I think it's also fair to say it has fallen on somewhat hard-ish times. Um, Could a refresh on the waterfront be just the ticket? Well, maybe. You've mentioned Anna Bailao has endorsed the idea. Uh, Surely this will become an election issue in the Toronto mayor's race, which concludes in the last week of June. And here's that famous word again. We are expecting the Ford government to make a decision about this shortly. (laughs) Uh, You know, one thing I I do want to just add is, you know, even if they moved the Science Centre, the operations of the Science Centre away from its current location, that would still leave the building intact. And Mm -hmm. the city of Toronto, for example, uh, could undoubtedly find ways to maintain it as an operating public space. Whether you can do that and also add uh, thousands upon thousands of uh, units of new housing, I think is an interesting question. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer that Mixed-use spaces can be combined uh, appropriately and, and sensibly in cities, uh, but at a certain point, you really do start to wonder about how many houses can you add to a, a place before it starts to create a lot of chaos. <laughs> we did get some interest on this story in our virtual mailbag at onpoliticsattvo.org uh, from Jeanette. Quote, moving Ontario Place sounds like a good move all around. It allows for a, a piggyback for people who are there for one reason and decide to visit another attraction at the same time. Definitely want it all to remain public land. From Jane, the next step in the evolution of Ontario Place must not be privatization. The mistake by the lake planned by Terramay Canada and endorsed by Doug Ford's government is wrong. From Barbara, these actions of selling off land that is protected environmentally as well as the Science Centre and Ontario Place to wealthy buddies is criminal. Hmm. Okay, thanks for those emails. This will be the key angle in the debate, I suspect, whether to let a major private player, such as Terramay, build that huge spa on the Ontario Place grounds, or whether to keep the mission of Ontario Place entirely public. It really is the province's decision, but the city does have a role. Yes, uh, the city actually owns the land, even though the facility was built and managed and funded by the province. So theoretically, if the city's priorities aren't dealt with here, the next mayor could say, like, we don't like this. It's our land. You can't build a big spa on it unless you do X, Y, and Z. Maybe that's a guarantee of more park space uh, elsewhere. Who knows? Did you just say Z? Did you just say X, oh. Y, and Z? Oh, my God. The, pr- the, the proper pronunciation of Canadian words is going to be coming up uh, <laughs> later. So, uh, But I, I did actually want to add one other thing. Did you see the mischief that uh, Josh... Matlow is getting up to? 
Referring to what? Uh, so the city owns land. And of course, as I think our listeners will understand, there's nothing the city owns that the province can't take away. Oh, yes. Uh, but Matlow has moved a motion with the city to uh, either sell the land to the federal government or invite the federal government to expropriate it. Because, ah. of course, the province cannot expropriate federal land. Um, have no idea whether that motion is going to be any, uh, is going to go anywhere, I should say. Uh, but I appreciate mischief. <laughs> it's a clever play. Got to hand it to them for that. That's a clever play. Yes. Uh, much more to come on this, and we will be paying attention to it over the next uh, weeks and potentially months. Uh, any questions you would like us to answer or comments you would like to share, uh, you can get us at onpolitics at tvo.org. And now, on to issue three. It is not too often that the seat of provincial government in Ontario gets connected to international affairs, but that did happen last week. The Russian Federation has slapped sanctions on almost every member of the Ontario legislature because Queen's Park has left no doubt about where it stands in Russia's appalling and illegal war against Ukraine. The sanctions mean that 123 of the 124 members of the legislature cannot travel to Russia. I suspect none of them had any interest in doing so anyway, but there it is. What's your theory as to why Sarah Jama, who's the newest MPP just elected, wasn't included on the sanctions list? It seems pretty obvious that the Kremlin was using an out-of-date list of MPPs. Uh, Marilee Fullerton is included on the list of sanctioned MPPs. She is not an MPP anymore. She uh, resigned both as a cabinet minister and an MPP uh, just a few weeks ago, is out of politics, uh, has nevertheless been sanctioned by uh, the Russian government. Uh, of course, Premier Ford had already been sanctioned uh, more than a year ago. No MPP is going to lose sleep over this, uh, multiple parties now, uh, including uh, the NDP, the Liberals, and the Greens, have uh, all basically said this is a badge of honor to be ostracized by the Putin regime. Uh, Federal Finance Minister Christopher Freeland, of course, was, was sanctioned long ago, happy to have been so. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, of course, is of Ukrainian heritage on her mother's side. Now, we're going to sign off this podcast, but before people go, stick around because McGrath's Canadian pronunciation will become a massive campaign issue in just a second. So let me say that's the On Poly podcast for Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. Please remember to check out our newsletters. You can subscribe at tvo.org slash newsletter. This week, JMM and I riff on about, what do we riff on about this week? Uh, we talked about uh, Mexit and oh, the yeah. regional government review and, and what it could mean for the politics of uh, that city and the province. You've got a better memory than I do. Well done. And we just wrote it this weekend. How do I forget that already? Anyway, it's a busy it. time. Yeah. Any feedback you have, we are happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us an email once again at onpolitics at tvo.org. Okay, here we go. This is an email from listener Michael, who wrote to us about JMM's pronunciation of the word L-I-E-U-T-E-N-A-N-T, as in the lieutenant governor. And he thought JMM did not pronounce it correctly. He thought you said lieutenant governor. So we thought we'd do a little fact-checking of our own here. So if we can, let us get into the time machine. Matthew, would you please rewind the tape? Of course, you don't really rewind, and we don't have tape anymore. But um, just rewind to last week's episode, and let's hear what McGrath actually did say timing of a by-election is up to the lieutenant governor in council, which is a fancy way of saying that the premier will call that by-election when he's good and ready. (laughs) Correct. Aha. So you did say it correctly. Our producer, incidentally, Matthew, got a hold of Michael 
And Michael apparently played it 15 times over just to make sure, John Michael, that you pronounced it correctly. And he is now satisfied that you did, in fact, say it correctly. So all's well that ends well. And I have to say, Michael, you must have a fairly dim view of my abilities, because if you think I'd have let McGrath get away with saying lieutenant instead of lieutenant, well, you got another thing coming, mister. Well, I was going to say, I mean... I'm sure I have made that error in the past, and I I may again someday in the future, but in the specific context of recording this podcast, sitting across the table from Steve Pakin, (laughs) when he he might actually leap across the table and throttle me were I to mispronounce it. So you knew it would never happen. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm very, very careful about that. As one should be. This week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Shahir Tejvidi. Production support from Daniel Kitts and Jonathan Hallowell. Until next Tuesday, everybody. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye.